welcome to this week's Oxcast, your weekly roundup of all the best events happening in and around Oxford. Today's date is the 11th of May, and joining me in the studio today is Jen and Orla. Hello. Hello. This week I'll be talking about a gig, a meetup, and a bit of cinema. I've got two festivals, both music festivals, and two shop launches. Ooh. And I've got goats, museums and opera. Including an interview coming up that Katie conducted with Angus. So to start off our events roundup, I've got The Goat or Who is Sylvia, which has been performed at the Michael Pilch studio. This play written by Edward Albee was a winner of the 2002 Tony Award and it tells the story of Martin, a hugely successful architect who has just turned 50. He lives an idyllic life with his loving wife and gay teenage son. However, this all changes when he confides to his best friend that he is also in love with a goat named (laughs) Sylvia, which sets in motion events that will destroy his family and leave his life in tatters. Sounds surreal. Yes. (laughs) Edward Albee, the author, actually wants the emphasis not to be so much on the goat loving, but says that the play is about love and loss and the limits of our tolerance and who, indeed, we really are. Mmm, intriguing. So to get you in the sort of goaty mood, I've got some fun goat facts. Okay, but first of all, I want to know, is there, is there actually going to be a goat in the play? Is there a real goat? Without revealing anything, a goat appears at some point in the play. <laughs> but is it a live goat? Will they have I a goat? So. I hope so. Anyway, what are your goat facts? So, like sheep, a goat's eye is rectangular rather than round. So, you know, they have that weird slit in the middle. Um, and so they have excellent night vision and will often browse during the night. Browse? Yeah. <laughs> what are they like browsing? Well, it's interesting. Like, you know, there's that myth that goats eat anything. Right. They're actually really inquisitive. So they literally try anything they can find. Mm. Give it a little taste. If they like it, they eat more of it. Like a baby. Yes. Uh, more people in the world drink goat's milk than cow's milk. That's interesting. Yeah. And apparently goats discovered coffee. How do... No. <laughs> How did they tell anyone about yeah. How did they claim this discovery? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently in Ethiopia, a goat herd saw goats behaving more actively and energetically after eating from a, a particular bush. So he then went and tried it himself and felt uplifted, awake and full of energy. <laughs> Caffeinated goat. <laughs> I believe also that argan oil, which is that terrifically expensive stuff you get in cosmetics, um, has, it has a really kind of hard husk and it has to be pre-digested by a goat, mm. which means that the terrifically lavishly expensive argan oil that you put all over your face has been through a goat and then has to be rigorously sorted and washed oh, afterwards. Oh and and this provides a brilliant living for sort of impoverished goat herds in, in various yeah. parts of the <laughs> Middle East. That's fantastic, but now I don't want to put it in my hair. <laughs> I know, I don't think they tell many people about this. It's not like monkey-picked coffee or something. This is <laughs> I would like a caffeinated <laughs> goat, though. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think we should have a goat in the office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you've been inspired by this talk of goats, <laughs> go and see The Goat or Who is Sylvia at the Michael Pilch studio. It's on, on Wednesday until Saturday at 7.30. Tickets are £8 or £6 for the concessions. <laughs> Fewer goats in Wood Festival, I fear. That's a shame. But nevertheless, still worth going to. Um, uh, our competition to win tickets to Wood Festival ends tomorrow. That is Thursday the 12th. So get your entries in quickly. It's the year of the red kite. It is the year of the red kite. Uh, So if you can identify a red kite, and we haven't given you the iconic silhouette, we've made Mm. it harder. 
It's Nevertheless, his face. beady face, <laughs> beady face. If you can identify uh, a lovely red kite by the eyes, um, then uh, get in touch with us. And why should you want to go to Wood Festival? Well, it is ultra friendly, family friendly. Um, the music is kind of gentle indie folk. Um, I wouldn't say the music is the primary reason most people go. Yeah. So it's slightly unusual in a music festival. Um, but yeah, the atmosphere is lovely. There's excellent food, which includes vegan food, gluten-free food, all the rest of it. Um, traditionally, vaults and gardens have a sort of uh, pop-up. Mm. Vaults and gardens in an enormous marquee, um, <laughs> and you sit on straw bales. Um, and there's often wood-fired pizza as well. Um, there are loads of workshops as well as the music. So this year they include poi. Um, so that's lovely whirly things that people do at festivals. Everyone should learn that. How to make a wormery. Awesome. How to make a solar panel. Um, <laughs> how to knit. Go on shamanic journeying. Making flutes out of carrots, creative writing and bike repair. I want a carrot flute. <laughs> Can you make any other instruments? Probably. Exactly. <laughs> there used to be a workshop um, on the Saturday which was about making instruments out of junk and then they do a parade relatively early on Sunday morning oh, no. to help everyone wake up. Um, I don't know if they're doing that this year. It was a bit, <laughs> bit um, sadistic, but really good for the kids who are obviously all awake on Sunday morning anyway. Gosh. Um, for the children also, there's Nick Cope, who is a, a sort of toddler musician. <laughs> he, he's like he's a, toddler not a toddler celebrity. <laughs> he's not a he's not a toddler himself, but he plays the guitar and sings lovely songs for toddlers. Um, and a puppet show and lots of other things. Um, children under 12 are free with a paying adult uh, there are currently weekend and day tickets available weekend tickets 80 quid uh, day tickets 29 or 36 depending on the day there is a cost for cars getting there and it's cheaper if you've got three or more people in your car uh, but they do encourage people to sort of turn up by bike in which case you get a free pint when you arrive <laughs> so if your bike is has arrived there but needs repairing then go to the bike repair clinic um <laughs> What else? It's a very sustainable festival. There are composting loos. It's probably the only festival where they give you e-cover hand wash. <laughs> um, uh, lo- lots of recycling. And, yeah, it's just a really nice thing to do. It's really nice even if it rains. Um, but I hope it's sunny again this year. Um, and, yeah, there are some nice stalls selling hippie things, but that's not the main focus. You're most likely to spend your money on local cider and delicious food. <laughs> I like both those things. Me too. Wood Festival is from the 20th to the 22nd of May. It's at Brazier's Park, which is near Wallingford in the southeast of Oxfordshire. Definitely red kite territory. <laughs> now, if you've ever wanted to experience Night at the Museum in person, you'll have the opportunity to do so this week. So, across the country, over 500 museums are putting on museums at night when museums open after hours to showcase their treasures in unexpected ways. So you could be looking at, say, some pottery while sipping a cocktail. It's pretty Very great. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's to encourage people who wouldn't usually go to museums to go along. So obviously Oxford is participating in this and I've chosen three of the um, events that are happening this week. So to start with, there's Live Friday framed at the Ashmolean, which is obviously on Friday at 7pm. It's the grand finale to the Andy Warhol exhibition and it's going to focus on portraits across the museum and beyond. So they've got things like uh, gargoyles, pop art, self-portraits and caricature, face swaps and selfies. So they've got the usual sort of live music, performance group performing in unusual places in the museums, pop-up talks from Torch and all sorts of nice things happening. Are people getting dressed up this time? 
I don't think there's actually a dress code for once. Dress as Marilyn Monroe. Exactly. Well, yes. Or a can of beans. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure you just have to have your best selfie face ready, to be honest. <laughs> At the Natural History Museum, there is Pacific, which is on Friday at 7pm, again. And they've got activities happening throughout the evening, including a Pacific-themed music, uh, flak weaving and lee-making turtle tours, which sounds fascinating, um, printing, crafts, object handling, um, arachnids, and a fabulous bar, which sort of sounds lovely. Mm-hmm. And finally, the Museum of Oxford is putting on Played in Oxford. And again, that's on at Friday at 7. Local performers um, doing covers of musicians who come from Oxford. So I imagine there'll be a lot of Radiohead and... Foles. Foles. Supergrass. Yeah. So it's sorts of things. All of these events are between £5 and £7. So what's not to love? I had no idea it was part of a national thing. Mm. I assumed it was just Oxford museums because there were so many of them. I think they did yeah. it last year as well. And maybe they've done it the last couple of years. But Live Friday is always worth going to. Yes. They used to do it every month and now it's more infrequent. So do try and get along if you can. Mm. Make sure to get there early. <laughs> yeah. The bars open up as well. And if the weather's nice, like just sitting on the roof with mm. a cold drink is delicious. Look out for all the museums at night events happening in Oxford. Cool. So on Saturday, if you are a fan of buying lovely things and supporting good people, then uh, you're in luck. There are two different shop launches. One is the new Emmaus Furniture Superstore um, at 242 Barnes Road. So they've closed the one that's in Northway at the foot of the towers, if you used to go there. Where's Barnes Um, Road? Barnes Road is... Uh, on the route to Temple Cowley. Okay, right. From Templar Square Shopping Centre up mm. towards Temple Cowley. And so they've got their little furniture shop in Templar Square um, itself. And this is um, a new sort of big furniture place, um, I think, just opposite the um, Templar Square Shopping Centre. And they've been in negotiation with the council over this building and, and the, the building of it and the lease and so on for six years. Oh, so wow. this is the culmination of a, a great long planning process. Um, so Emmaus is sort of two different things to two different sets of people, I think. Um, to most of us, it's a place to get some nice, um, cheap furniture, stock up your house. Um, mm. And for all the people moving in and out of Oxford all of the time, of course, it's a godsend. Um, and a lot of it is that sort of older, well-built furniture. Mm. <laughs> it's, doesn't, it's not flimsy when you put all your books on the bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the people who work there, um, it's giving people who have been homeless, who've been in really bad circumstances, a really good solid foothold to rebuild their lives from. Um, so they get uh, a place to live and meaningful work um, that is makes a difference to other people. Um, it's not make work, it's not um, just there to support people, it's really useful to everybody. They are good people. They are good people. Mm. Um, they're a relatively small charity in terms of the number of people they help, but that means they really focus on the people who are companions, who are mm. um, learning new trades, manning the shop, all sorts of stuff. So their launch party is this Saturday. Um, they've got all sorts of activities going on, as well as the furniture for sale, including Annie Sloan painting workshops, antique valuations, and children's activities provided by The Art Room, which is another good charity. Mm. Um, and they reckon that for every £1 spent at Emmaus, there are £11 saved to society. So that includes the various costs that go along with drug addiction, including reoffending crime sort of costs, um, costs oh. to the NHS, all sorts of things. That makes me want to give them all my money. <laughs> yeah, it it's, it's oh, makes a big difference. 
And it's not just about the money, of course. It's about taking something neglected and making it feel loved again. Mm. And that's the furniture mm. and also the people. Um, and in addition, County Road's Oxfam branch, uh, which is almost directly below our office, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've been going past it all closed up for months and months and months and months. And they are having a big opening as well. Um, also on Saturday. Also on Saturday according to their billboard outside. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, the brief glimpses in around the newspaper on the door have looked very swanky. Mm, very nice. Uh, now, also on Saturday, I've got a gig at the North Wall. So this is raising money and awareness for CALM, the campaign against living miserably and the issue of male suicide. Uh, so suicide is the biggest cause of death in of men under 45 in the UK, and 76% of all suicides are male. Uh, so the gig will be... A bit more of an upbeat affair, though. Uh, there'll be performances from Duotone, who uh, in the past has been Birdie's cellist, uh, but is now doing some stuff on his own, and local singer-songwriter Jess Hall, as well as performances from Richard Newberg and Matt Shannon. It starts at 8 on Saturday and costs £14, £10 concessions, as basically everything at the North Wall always does. Um, and, yeah, I think it's be something really worth going along to, learning and having an entertaining evening of music. On to more music now. Tucked away on the Wormsley Estate near Stoke and Church, Garsington Opera um, has a fantastic season lined up. So I'm just going to go through what's on offer. So first up, there is Eugenie Onyugum, which is Tchaikovsky's um, tragic opera. It tells the story of Tatiana, a bookish country girl who meets society bachelor Eugenie and pours out her heart in a passionate letter so naturally, after that, bad things happen. <laughs> There's limited availability for tickets for that, so book now. Next up, there's a lighter opera, which is L'Italiana in Allegri, which is Rossini's comedic opera, which tells the story of Isabella, a young Italian woman of independent spirit, resourcefulness and wit, who is shipwrecked in a foreign land while searching for her sweetheart and is taken by a bit of a nasty-sounding man, Mustafa, <laughs> who wants to make her part of his harem. But, of course, Isabella uses her wits to turn the tables. Well done, Isabella. Yes. <laughs> uh, next up, there's another tragic opera. Seems to be very popular this year. Um, Idi Manaho, which tells the story of a soldier who is returning from the siege of Troy and is saved from drowning at sea by the god Poseidon and vows in return to sacrifice the first person he sees when he reaches home. That's never a good idea. Never <laughs> a good idea, and inevitably the first living being he encounters is his own child. Um, there's actually quite a lot of availability for this one. And finally, uh, the creation by Haydn, which sees Gossington Opera collaborating for the first time with the um, ballet group Rombera, um, and it is depicting the creation of the universe as described in the book of Genesis and Paradise Lost. A huge amount of going to Garsington though isn't really about the opera. It's about <laughs> dressing up in lovely clothes on a summer's evening and then having an hour and a half picnic interval yes. in the ridiculous surroundings of Wormsley including a deer park and a full cricket pitch. <laughs> the garden pavilion that they perform in as well is just beautiful and they really commit to the sets and yeah it's just like it's just unbelievable. It's mm. unbelievable that it goes up and comes down each mm. year because it's such a beautiful, solid structure and it's kind of semi-outdoors and really beautiful. And, yeah, the fun is in sort of watching everybody else, the other patrons and their amazing opera capes. And, 
Uh, and anyway, the fun of opera really doesn't lie in its plot. I don't think no. <laughs> particularly if it's Rossini. And they will give you a programme with sort of a 17-page explanation for <laughs> exactly what ins and outs are going on. Yeah, and the um, subtitles as well on the screen. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's helpful. Yeah. Um, I spoke to Angus Boyd-Heron, the events manager, and asked him, uh, how long does it take to prepare for an event like Garsington? Well, there's people in the office all year round. I'm in the box office uh, and um, the artistic side of it uh, and fundraising and so on. On site here, it's a seasonal event uh, and we only um, operate in the summer. And the the auditorium was designed as a temporary structure uh, and was intended after the first year for the whole thing to come down uh, and to then go back up again um, at the start of the... um, in the spring. We, we don't do that now. We've got planning permission to leave the structure up. Uh, but it was designed to come down, and structurally, it's not designed to stay up all year round. So we partially take it down. We invented a new word called winterization and, <laughs> and summerization. So in September, we take all the seats out, we take the sides out, we put in some bracing um, so that the roof doesn't blow off in the, in the, in the winter. And we, we sort of partially strip out the structure and then we leave the, the wind and the rain to um, blow through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we come back in, in spring, sort of around about the beginning of April. Yeah. And we start building it all back up again, uh, and preparing it for the summer. And it takes us, it takes us probably from uh, the whole of April to do that. And then in May, all the crew come in and they start working on all the scenery and the sets. And then by late May, we then the singers turn up on stage and we have stage rehearsals. And the orchestra turn up, wigs and wardrobe. And then we open beginning of June and we run through till mid-July. And then we pack up again. Gosh. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot of work for a relatively short amount of time. Yeah. Um, uh, that's, that's roughly the cycle of things. Yeah. Have you ever found any animals lurking in the opera house? Uh, we've had bats, oh. hedgehogs, uh, mice. Uh, we're in a deer park, so we have had deer. Oh, wow. But not on stage. <laughs> but we did have bats uh, a couple of years ago uh, during one of the shows. We had a bat flying uh, across the stage. One of the magical things about this place is that it is semi-open air. And, you know, so we, we you know, we interact with the environment. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, as the sun sets, uh, the lights come into their own uh, on stage. And it's a magical um, setting. Listen to the full interview to hear about Garsington's history, what unique challenges it presents, and which production Angus is most looking forward to. Right now, on Monday, there is what I think is going to be a really interesting meetup organised by Oxford Hackspace. It's titled "What Is the Blockchain and Why Should I Care." And what I'm, is the blockchain? <laughs> and why should I care? <laughs> so I've tried to make a simple explanation of the blockchain and why you should care about it. So the blockchain was developed as a globally distributed public ledger system for Bitcoin. So Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency, altcoin, peer-to-peer currency that people will have sort of heard a lot about in the news over the last few years. So the blockchain is where every Bitcoin transaction is recorded indelibly and forever. Uh, It can't be cheated and you can't retrospectively erase anything. So it makes it pretty handy when it comes to tackling fraud, for example. But what a lot of people are getting excited about is, uh, excited about at the moment, are the other potential applications of blockchain technology. So it could be used to record contracts and transactions of any other kind in a secure public environment without the need of a middleman. 
So you could imagine transferring the deeds of a property, for example, with as much security and peace of mind as a law firm would provide, but without having to pay them thousands of pounds. Or artists could release digital music with built-in smart contracts that automatically execute a financial transaction on playing if you were using a music service that you gave permission to do that with, and the money would then go directly to the artist. You're missing out a label and a bank and just cutting all of the fees down for both users and people who are making the music as well. And anything that works with music would also work for, for instance, e-publishing, which is one of the huge... Exactly. So there's a blockchain startup called Ascribe, um, which... Uh, with which you can digitally watermark your artwork as well and you can protect your intellectual property much better than the more cumbersome rights management systems do at the moment. Wow, there's been a recent fuss, hasn't there, about YouTube and um, content on YouTube that shouldn't be there, for instance, mm-hmm. poll TV shows or films or... Yeah, and music on sort of lyric videos and things like that, that sometimes get taken down, whereas if you were able to digitally watermark with this system so that if you were if you watch it, a transaction is produced and recorded on the blockchain, then everything would be more transparent. And it would be better if the aim was not to block people from accessing your content, mm. but merely to make sure that the artist actually gets credit for yeah, it. Yeah, and cutting out the middleman. More closely related to the origins of the blockchain, financial services have become, become cheaper and more transparent as well, which in the wake of the Panama Papers thing, a lot of people will be interested in. And it is already making changes in the financial services sector. Um, but as the Harvard Business Review put it, blockchain technology is the first native digital medium for value, just as the internet was the first native digital medium for information. Um, and it may well be as or more revolutionary than the internet. Wow. Um, so if some of that made sense, or it was at least a bit interesting, um, or made you interested in blockchain technology, Oxford Hackspaces meet up on Monday. Um, which will be all about it. It'll be at the Oxford Centre for Innovation on New Road and costs £2, unless you're a member, in which case it's free. And it's very much aiming to be an accessible talk, uh, so you don't need to know anything about Bitcoin or the blockchain to go along. I feel like I now understand why it matters. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's 7.30 on Monday at the Oxford Centre for Innovation, and I'd recommend going along. Cool. Looking up the other day how much money Rick Astley made on the Rick rolling. Yeah. Nothing. No. Oh my like about $60. That's horrendous. Don't you think he should be a millionaire now? I it's mean, estimated yeah. that if uh, if Bitcoin was used for all, all payments and transfers, it would save users hundreds of billions of dollars a year. Is that in things like currency change back and forth? Both in currency change and just in sort of credit card fees and mm. um, you know bank fees that mm. like if. So are the banks really against blockchain? They are some. Well, basically it's all unregulated at the moment and the ones that adapt quick enough to actually use it are going to be the ones that prosper. And it's going to be the same for music services like Spotify or Apple Music. Mm. If they're able to adapt quickly and start using this technology, then I think they'll be able to continue making money Mm. in some ways. But, yeah, it's going to be the people who react first. So going back to a slightly more established art form now, Abingdon (laughs) Jazz Festival, which is happening um, all over Abingdon, various venues, Tuesday to Sunday next week. Um, and the cost ranges from free for some things up to £18 for other things. Um, 
we were talking only yesterday for some reason about what jazz covers and the fact that it's lots and lots of different styles. Mm-hmm. You can have everything from swing, uh, all your jazz standards, to the really new stuff via the stuff that got mocked on the fast show. It's social <laughs> music, as Miles Davis would say. <laughs> <laughs> Much music, <laughs> social music. Nevertheless, um, Abingdon Jazz Fest, although it's not going on all that long, seems to cover a great many different styles um, and also different formats of shows, which is quite nice. Mm. Uh, so we've got a gig on the roof of Abingdon Museum. Mm, where they throw the buns from. Where they throw the buns. <laughs> An intimate gig for only 22 people. So uh, the next bun throwing is going to be the 11th of June. So if you want to go up and see the place they're throwing from beforehand. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, so that's on Saturday the 21st. I think most the, the biggest day of the festival is probably going to be Saturday the 21st. Lots on that day. Uh, there's also a trio under the museum in the Mouse Hole Cafe. Mm. Um, there's Big Band Swing on Friday the 20th in the Unicorn Theatre and an audio-visual show also in the Unicorn Theatre on Thursday night. Uh, there's a theatre show about Miles Davis on Tuesday and Wednesday next mm. week. Um, there's a free workshop, I think it's more of a jazz session probably, on Sunday the 22nd uh, at lunchtime in the Community Free Space in Berry Street. And there's a seven-piece jazz funk ensemble which says, bring your dancing shoes. Oh, wow. Ooh. So, lots and lots going on. Um, the full listings are on Daily Info and also on the Abingdon Jazz Festival website. And lastly, a film for this week. Um, to mark Dementia Awareness Week, the Ultimate Picture Palace will be screening Iris on Tuesday. Uh, so the film from 2001 stars Kate Winslet and Judy Dench as young and old Iris Murdoch and Hugh Bonville and Jim Broadbent as her husband John Bailey, um, on whose memoirs the film is mostly based. Jim Broadbent actually won an Oscar for his performance and loads of other awards. Um, and I think Judy Dench and Kate Winslet were both nominated for the same role. <laughs> and it's something like only the second time that two actors have been nominated for the same role in the same film. And the first time was Kate Winslet and the older version of Kate Winslet in Titanic. Oh, a couple the years older before. version of Kate she Winslet. She was it for about Yeah, but a they, they, they were both nominated as well. She was good though. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, it follows Murdoch and Bailey's relationship from their Oxford days into old age and Iris's deterioration due to Alzheimer's. And the film will be followed by a Q&A hosted by Science Oxford. It's on Tuesday the 17th at the UPP on June Street at 6.30. Full listings of other films on this week, again, are on dailyinfo.co.uk. Make sure to follow us. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at dailyinfo.oxford. Where you can also find the Wood Festival competition until tomorrow and uh, the full interview with Angus from Garsington. <laughs> <laughs>